Yes, a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening to you, however you may be listening and wherever you may be listening. This is the Fulham Focus podcast. I wish I could be saying this in a much more chirpier and much more happier voice than I am. The return to football was not quite the return to football as we ideally wanted. As we lost to Brentford 2-0 at Craven Cottage in our first game back, here to help me is Mr. William Oakley and Mr. Matthew Arter as my two guests. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get cracking. Fulham. Right, so first things first, for the first time in, what is it, over three months, the reaction to the team as it came out. Now, me, J-Mac and Danny on the, you know, Welcome Back to Football podcast had a few guesses as to what the team might be. It wasn't 100% what we thought it would be, but there was one big major surprise uh, I, I don't think many of us really saw coming and that was the inclusion of Niskin Scabano. Uh, Mr Oakley I'll go to you first what were your thoughts about the overall team selection and uh, perhaps more importantly what was your view on Niskin Scabano being selected? Yeah so I think like you say the rest of the team seemed quite self-explanatory good defence good midfield um, but then you kind of look at Nokar and Mitrovic obviously those two are kind of a given Mitrovic especially but Everyone, I think, was expecting Cav to feature alongside them too. Um, so I think Cabano, he's never been bad for us necessarily, but he's, and I, I said before the game, like, you know, let's give him a chance, give him the benefit of the doubt. He, he's a great guy. I wanted him to score and, and put in a great performance, which he wasn't terrible, like I say, but I don't know. I was surprised. And I think we could have played better if Cav started, to be honest. When he came on, he did give us a bit more push and drive going forward. So it was it was interesting. I think Cav should probably replace him for next game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, nothing against Iskin Scabana. He's been a fine servant. But based off production levels of this season as a whole, it, it seems a bit weird. Mr. Arty, your thoughts? Hello, everyone. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird choice to start with considering we've been away for three months and it's the first game back. I'm just looking at the stat file that I've made in the spreadsheet and looking at all the kind of attacking combinations that we've had this season. And the most popular one by far is the Mitro Cav knockout trio uh, starting 16 games all season. Obviously, Cabano's only started one, which was the last Brentford game. So to bring him back for quite a big game as well, it was it was an odd choice. Maybe Parker was trying to swing a surprise on Brentford. He didn't have a bad game. In particular, in the first half, I think he was pushing some good crosses into Mitrovic, whereas no other player, not even Brian, Brian was really doing that. It was good to see that Cav was on the bench at least. Um, and he, really, Cav was kind of the only attacking option that we had on that bench. And that kind of highlighted how thin our attacking options are. Because you know, as the game showed, if we wanted to change things up, the only thing we could really do was bring Cavalero on. And, you know, that didn't really do much, did it? Yeah, some interesting points, guys. And you know, I don't want to put sort of words into anybody's mouth or anything or sort of accuse anything. But I'm just looking back at the, you know, the, the preview stuff for the game. And I think what makes this sort of decision even weirder is the fact that Scott Parker didn't hint at the fact. The only thing that I can maybe understand was if Caviero picked up a slight niggle in, in, in training, in which case it would kind of understand. But Scott Parker didn't give us any indication of that in the preview. So, again, that sort of adds to the to the mystique of it, if you will. But I just want to ask you guys one question. What are your thoughts on the crowd noise aspect? Oh, I didn't mind it, if I've got to be honest. Um, obviously, it's not 
normal, but I think normal went out the window months ago. I would rather hear some form of crowd noise than just utter silence. I th- you know, uh, earlier, a few weeks ago, when I was watching Bundesliga and they didn't have the crowd noise option, it was just a bit eerie. You can hear all the players and the coaches shouting, but watching it just didn't feel right. And obviously it's not also right watching it with fake crowd noise, but I think it's better than nothing. Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I think even though it's not perfect, it's better than nothing for me. Okay, fair enough. I'm very much um, not in the majority there, but I'm very used to being that. But anyway, let's move on to the game itself. And it wasn't exactly the most entertaining of first halves. I wouldn't blame anyone for sort of dozing off. The first clear-cut chance of the game, real clear-cut chance, uh, falls to uh, Bobby Reed. Then it was really uh, as he hit the post, followed up by Anthony Knockhart pulling one you know, across the goal curving wide. Should they have done better, respectively? I know Bobby Reed has come into a lot of criticism on the Full and Focus WhatsApp chat for his um, finishing or lack of. Uh, but do you think, really, uh, that was an effort on his weaker foot, for instance, do you think, really, he should have done better on that occasion? Or do you think that was really, um, it wasn't It wasn't a total clear-cut chance? Mr. Arter, to you first. Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, there was quite an interesting debate on the Full and Focus team chat yesterday about this and Bobby Reed about whether He's always been, he's almost getting known as the nearly man who, you know, he nearly does something good. He nearly finishes the shot, but he was kind of full shot. And then, you know, that went into the debate about whether is he just a standard championship player or, you know, can he make that step up to become Premier League level and bury these chances? And, you know, looking at this season, the answer would appear to be no. But going back to that chance, as an individual chance, I thought he did very well to, you know, make the space. And I, th- was it, I think it was Harrison Reed who picked him out. His passing today, uh, yesterday was impeccable. And yeah, he did well. He got it under and it was on his weak foot. And it was, a, it was actually a really good shot. And it was, it was, I think, just unlucky that it hit the post and went out wide. You know, on another day, that could have easily gone in. And then on another day, it could have easily just gone over and wide. Um, but no, I think it was more unlucky than anything. And then when Knockar got his shot, I think we haven't, we haven't seen a good replay of it yet. But I think that the goalkeeper... His dive probably made it look a lot closer than what it probably was. Do you think that this was maybe a bit of rustiness coming into coming into play here? And maybe if he'd have got that same chance a couple of weeks later, you know, when we're playing, you know, Leeds next week or West Brom at the end of the season or Birmingham or Wigan or any of the teams we've got left to play, that that, that would have gone in in that case. And it was just the case of first game back. We've seen a lot of crazy results and a lot of crazy things going on. You know, not just in the Championship, but the Premier League going on with football coming back. Do you think it was just against again just down to rustiness of not being fully match fit in that situation that cost him to um, spurn his chances? Were and I suppose really the same question to Knockhart, or do you think it was just that's just what he does? Um, I mean, I think you could definitely make a case for it being rustiness, but there's been Fulham haven't really released much about whether we've played other teams or not. But also, there's been eleven v elevens within the club. Training's been going for a few weeks now, which obviously it's not an ideal situation to be in. But I, I think Bobby Reed probably could have done better with that. I think as well, it's unlucky it's fallen on his left foot. Obviously, he's done well to find the space. But maybe if if the ball was being played down the right side of the pitch, he would have been able to get more power, more accuracy behind it and still gone for the near post and scored if it was on his right foot. It's unlucky. It's kind of hard to have a go at him. I would have liked him to finish that, really. But it's not the end of the world. Well, I mean, in context of the match, it's not great. But it's not It's not too bad. And knockouts, I don't... With knockout, he does go for some crazy shots. It could have been a cross, 
because he, he has scored across this season. I don't think you can fault him really for that. He's just tried to get it back in there, whether he was shooting or crossing. It was kind of in the moment. It was just after the Bobby Reed chance and he's just tried to keep the momentum a bit and maybe rushed it a bit. But I think those two chances were unlucky um, and I don't think it really shaped the match too much. It's just it's later events that probably caused us to concede the goals. What I will say is, and it's a positive note, that was one of the few times where Bobby Reed was kind of up close with Micho in that attacking position. And it was one of the few times where they could link up and create chances in the box. And there wasn't really enough of that throughout the whole game. Like Bobby was too deep in midfield and left Mitrovic isolated a lot of the time. So if we get more of that, then we can see more of those types of chances, which would hopefully lead to more goals. Absolutely. And speaking of chances, Brentford had a decent chance on the half hour mark. Um, Joe Bryan playing uh, slightly too narrow in a defensive position. And that let uh, Fosu in for a, for, uh, for a good chance. Uh, was it a bit of a sign of things to come? And Joe Bryan has come in for a lot of stick on social media. Defensive frailties on his part and Brentford is doing a good job of exploiting it. He's just not not a great defender um i don't but then again i don't think he should play winger because i think he does well in the overlapping runs and and in the way he gets the ball forward when he does have the ball in defensive position but it's just getting that ball in the first place because he's not great at doing that he, there was too many times where he got caught out uh, against brentford's hopefully he can sharpen up a bit for for other games because although brentford is obviously a massive game we still got to play west brom and leeds who are above us, which Brentford aren't. So those will probably be harder games. So I think Brian does definitely need to work on his defending, but I, whether that will come about or not, I don't know. Uh, the problem is we don't have much depth at left back either. So it's not like we can replace him. The only thing I would probably consider is putting a doy left back and Christie right back. But I think I'd still rather keep Brian. It's just his defending does... Um, fought us a bit at the back, which is unfortunate, really, because he's he's a good attacker and he does play good crosses. It's just he's not the whole package. Just to add into that, I think initially in the first half, down our left hand side and down Brentford's right hand side, I thought there was a initially quite a good battle going on with uh, Cabano and Brian down our left side, and uh, Dulsgaard and Terry Crossy on their right. Because um, I noticed that we had, we had we had a lot of there was a lot of traffic going down our left hand side there. Cabano was cutting in, getting crosses in. Brian was there supporting him. And then likewise, they would go us in the counter attack. And it was a good battle. But then unfortunately, in the second half, it did, uh, Brian and Cabana, and then when Cavalera came on, it did kind of fall away a bit. And it's unfortunate because they did that is what ultimately led to the goals. Again, speaking of chances, um, not a lot, many clear-cut chances, as it were. But uh, Bobby Reed had a decent one on around, around the 50th minute mark just after half time. I don't want to accuse her of being too pass happy, but I think this was this was a very good example of being too pass happy. To pass it into um I think it was Mitrovic coming uh coming in through. But he should have shot, in my opinion. Anyway, again it was just one of those times where you're just where you're just thinking, hit it um when he when he gets the ball or when he's when he's near when he's uh, through on goal. Matt Arthur, what was your what were your thoughts on that? Should he have done should he have shot in that situation or do you think he was right to look for the pass? Yeah, that was one of the few times in the game where I actually got off of my seat and was like, okay, here we go, something's going to happen here. Because I think Knockart, he got quite a few criticisms yesterday as well, but I thought he actually had an okay game. He was lively, he was tracking back, he was putting the tackles in. And then when he got the balls like that, he was a bit 
of classic knockout, just hogging the ball too much. But when he did something like that, where he put in a great ball to Bobby Reed, and again he found that space, he got into position, and there you, you, you've got to say just either shoot across the keeper, so you know you could try and get a rebound and that could lead to a tap in, or you know just test the keeper at least. And then in the end, it was a bit of a tame cross, and that Brentford could easily stamp out. And you know you look back on the game. And it's chances like that that could have made the difference. You know, we that could have easily led to a goal had that been a shot, and we'd be one 0 up, and it'd be a completely different story. So you do have, you do have to question uh, Bobby's decision making there. Yeah, I I think I agree with you, um, but it, it didn't. It's kind of hard to just pick out Bobby Reed for that chance because there was a few times where Kearney was on the edge of the box, and although maybe he didn't have as much space, the passes weren't really on. And I was just thinking, you got to shoot there, you got to shoot. So, like you say, Bobby Reed was one of the times where I thought that, but I think it, it definitely could apply to quite a few players yesterday. And again, it's kind of bad decision making from Bobby Reed because maybe he should have shot, but it's he did try to create a chance or a goal out of it. And hopefully, these are the kind of things that he's going to learn from. And it will hopefully show against Leeds and West Brom if he now realises what he's done wrong. But it's just, we just need it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to you know, fully criticise uh, Bobby Reid for his mischance. You know, everyone missed a couple of chances. Mitro had a, had a few had a few chances. If he'd have just, if he knew what the offside rule was, for instance, he, he was clean through on goal, but was miles offside for him. He had a couple of headers that didn't quite go well. He had one. Again, what a diving header where he tries to go round Pontus Janssen. That again on a different day, maybe if he tries to play with his feet, he may get a better result. Uh, so I don't want to fully, you know, fully put everything on Bobby Reed. He, you know, the whole team missed chances, but I just think he did have the, you know, the most clear cut. Now, the decision to bring off Harrison Reed has been something that's really stuck in Fulham fans, you know, crows, um, you know, since the game, probably since he was. Uh, brought off. I know a lot of people say that he was man of the match far away. A lot of people saying we need to sign him on a permanent this summer. He's doing a great job. And he is, in fairness, he was absolutely man of the match yesterday. So what were your thoughts when Harrison Reed was brought off? Did you think that this was a tactical decision? I thought he was doing okay, but for all we know, he may have been out of steam. We didn't see that. Mr. Arter, were you stunned when you saw Harrison Reed come off? Or did you, like me, think that there was a, you know, a reason behind him coming off? I think that you know, him coming off was the natural thing to do. We need to remember this was his first game back since was it December or January. And obviously it's everybody's first game back for three months. But, you know, particularly for him, when I saw the team sheet, I wasn't expecting him to play the full 90 minutes. And then obviously he was putting in kind of an inspired man of the match performance. But, you know, at the same time, you know how Parker likes to change his midfield around. So I was expecting him to come off at one point. And that's fine. You know, it's, it, like I said, I think most people expected that. But I think the anger and the frustration from fans comes from the fact that as soon as he goes off, we kind of fall apart and it shouldn't need to be like that. We should be able to bring on Arta or McDonald or Johansson and we should still be able to, you know, kind of hold our own against other teams. We shouldn't kind of just cave in and concede two goals literally four minutes after he comes off. I mean, that's no coincidence. You know, in some part, that does go down to Parker's tactics because, you know, as good as a game Reed has, we can't just rely on him to keep us, you know, safe from conceding goals. 
Yeah, I think there is there was some more to that. And I do think the decision to bring off no, sorry, to bring on Harry Arter, I think, was also a bit of a weird one. I know they, they saw playing the same role. I personally would have brought on Stefan Johansson at that point, just to give us a little bit more, a little bit more bite in midfield as it were to sort of prevent uh, the incidents that we're going to talk about. Same question to you, Mr. Oakley. What were your thoughts when Harrison Reed when he first came off? Um, I think, like you say, he had a great performance. Man in the match for me, definitely. Uh, maybe we'll get onto that later, but I'll just say it now. He was great. And I think him coming off for Arta, like you say, is an interesting one. Him coming off overall is not that weird. I don't think you can blame Parker for that. But putting on Arta at that point, that is very questionable. Because for me, Arta has been really bad this season I think he's obviously scored that goal against Villa which was good but he hasn't controlled the midfield he's had a lot of experience and Harrison Reed was has been miles better than him this season so putting him on for Reed at, at that stage of the game was quite strange but we move on from it and hopefully Harrison Reed can play 90 minutes in the future because that's what we need if he can stay on form now it comes down to the bit that we were all dreading about. The late goal, first off from late goals, rather. First off from Ben Rama. Catalogue of errors um, at the back. I know someone sort of tempted it on Twitter. I saw it. I want to find I want to find and give credit. But someone joked about the whole, you know, this whole thing. We haven't had a nil-nil at the cottage since 2011, I think it was. Someone pointed that out, you know, with 10 minutes to go. And then someone put underneath it Ben Rama at the back post in the 90th minute or something. So whoever it was, if you're listening, please let us know. I want to give full credit to you for sort of jinxing this. Talk me through the goal as it was, just what went wrong. The only thing that really noticed for me, and again, we've talked about Joe Bryan. For some reason, he was out of position. For some reason, Joe Bryan was playing centre-back. When the ball when the ball came in, at least, Joe Bryan was a centre-back and Tim Ream was a left-back. Again, who takes the blame for that goal? I think for me, there's um, th- kind of three players at fault for this. First off, Ream, it's kind of hard to blame him. I think he had a really good game, but he just didn't really, he was playing too narrow, didn't really close his man down. Obviously, he's not a cent- uh, left back by nature. Centre back is definitely his best position, but he just didn't really close him down. And I think the other two is Brian because he just kind of seemed to stroll into the box or like back towards our goal as the cross was played in and not make much of an effort to stop it. I think Kearney as well, because he just watched the ball get played around him and didn't really make much of an effort to stop it. So I think for me, Brian Ream and Kearney, there's a team thing. It's played across the goal. Surely one player's got to get there. Yeah, so my take on the whole, on how we conceded the goal, I thought, you know, throughout the whole game, it was actually quite an even matchup. You can easily, you know, had it finished nil-nil, I don't think there would have been many complaints. But for us, and it might have coincided with when we took Harrison Reed off, we kind of, we, we had just run out of ideas. And you could tell that Brentford were kind of turning the screw a bit and they were upping the, press, upping the pressure. And, you know, it was getting more and more camped in Fulham's half. So, you know, you could kind of sense that something if there was if there would have been a go, it was gonna be for them. And sure enough that did happen. Um as Will mentioned, Ream was very narrow and I haven't had a chance to look back at the full kind of match replay and look at how how originally it ended up with Ream being left back and Brian at centre back. I don't know what how that came to be, but it did. And yeah, unfortunately if you look when they got the cross in, there was just no one close to him. Like Ream was too busy being narrow and like I said, Kearney wasn't tracking back and I think Noki was there as well and 
yeah, like I wouldn't put it down to an individual mistake. It was just kind of a collective team error, and there was there must be some kind of major breakdown in communication. You can always make a claim that a doy maybe could have got a bit, little bit closer to his man, so they couldn't get the shot away. But if a ball flashes across the goal like that, there's not much you know defenders can, can do, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it was very unfortunate, but gotta say it was coming because we just looked like we'd run out of ideas running out of ideas and we had a few ideas and a few chances towards the end and the second goal ultimately comes you know typical counter-attacking play you know we have a corner and then they break away again i don't want to put the whole thing on joe Bryan because there are many people who again were at fault for all goals and not missing each other i don't want to, i don't want this to be the joe Bryan. As much as Joe Bryan was bad, Harrison Reed was good. I don't want to put it all on him. But I do have a big issue with him and his attempts to stop the play, to stop the counter-attack and his, his weak-hearted efforts. I can understand him being dragged out of position because he was chasing down our right-hand side to sort of track the guy back. I can get that bit. But his attempts to try and win the ball back just, just didn't inspire anything in me. The way he played, it just didn't seem right to me. So what were your thoughts on the on the second goal? Could we have improved on that, Mr. Arthur? Yeah, so I think the goal it was just it was just a classic counter attack. We had just gone one nil down. We had gone kind of all out attack to try and get that equaliser. We got that corner, put too many men forward, and it, they did get us in the classic counter attack. And you know, it's easy to point, like I said, it's easy to point fingers at Joe Bryan, but when you, it's like three against two like that, it you know, it's always going to be against you. And I think Harry Arthur as well. I think there was kind of grounds there to kind of point the fingers at him as well. At one point when he kind of stopped running because he was trying to play the offside trap, but it failed miserably. So he was kind of two yards behind them. And yeah, at that point, it was just it was just game over and everyone became angry. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that one. We, we were just going for the goal. So everyone was up. There was always a risk we were going to get counter-attacked. So we just went for it. I think Harry Arter, though, I'm not that bothered about this because we were going to lose it anyway. If Harry Arter plays like that in other games where it's actually close, there's one goal in it, it's going to be ridiculous because, like you say, he stood there with his hand up waiting for the liner to call offside. He didn't even pass it to the player that Harry Arter thought he was. So then he's well behind. Then Harry Arter runs and kind of blocks Rodak's view. Maybe Rodak would have saved it. Maybe he wouldn't have, but Harry Arter isn't exactly helping in that situation. But like you say, that goal wasn't the goal that lost it for us. So just as long as Harry Arter doesn't do that again, it's fine. But in that situation, I don't really know what he's doing. Okay, so that's the game sort of over and done with. But just sort of summarise it, if you will. What were your overall thoughts on the first game back? Again, we've touched on the main points, but no, similar to an essay you used to do in school. Here's what happened. Now, just write the conclusion to it. So, what were your overall thoughts on first game back? Just any, basically anything that we've missed off. I'm surprised you focused at school to be honest, Baldo. <laughs> um, no, so the concluding thoughts, kind of for the game. Obviously, everyone's kind of very angry because it's the first game back. It's Brentford. It's a big game that you know, judging by how other results have gone this weekend, it could have helped us massively for promotion. But we weren't terrible. Like we weren't great. Sure, we lost the game. It's awful. But you know, we didn't play that bad. And Brentford are a very good team to their credit. And for the majority of the match, it was a good matchup. But you know, things that came creeping back at, like throughout this season have kind of came back after you know the three months out. You know, there wasn't kind of a clear plan B. It was a lot of nice little passing from defence to to midfield. It was nice. 
And then you just get to that final third and you only ever see two fluent players in attack. You see Mitro and then the one player, be it Knockhart, be it Kearney, be it Bobby Reed, just running forward. And there's just no ideas. It's just kind of hesitating and trying to find something. And then they easily close us down and then boom, they're on the counter-attack. And I always, I also thought our attack was quite deep as well. You know, Mitrovic, he was winning his headers, but he was winning the headers in our own half. He should be 10, 20 yards further up the pitch when those headers knocking them down to Bobby Reed or Knockhart, you know, basically on the edge of the box. And he wasn't. So it's it just, yeah, it didn't quite click yesterday. But, you know, there were still some encouraging signs there. You can put it down to rustiness maybe. But, yeah, we do need to play better. And hopefully results will come. Yeah, that's what you you touched on there right at the end, so I can throw it perfectly over to Will. Will, how much of this do you want to put down to it being the first game back? I think quite a lot of it has to go down to those two points. Um, we lost to Brentford already this season, first of all, which I know we're going to get onto the Parker rating, but which makes me question how Parker hasn't learned from that loss. But we'll move on from that. But I, I think maybe if it was a Leeds who've just lost to Cardiff or West Brom who have just drew to Birmingham, I, I think we probably could have got a result. As much as I hate to say it, Brentford are a very, very good team. And that's something that Thomas Frank's done really well. He's kind of given Brentford a bit of a reputation because they're not a side that have gone and spent a lot of money or got really well-known players in. They've kind of grown it from within the club. And and fair enough to them that we weren't terrible, but they just wanted it a bit more than us and they got it. So fair enough to them. The love of God, don't turn this into a Brentford love fest. I, it's, it, makes me, it makes me sick sick thinking about it. But, you know, you do have to give some credit to them. They have done incredibly well for, you know, the small club that they are. Right, so that wraps up this game. Actually, no, before it is, we've got to just do one more thing, and that's for you boys to give me your Scott Parker rating out of 10. I'll give him a 4 out of 10. Um, I think... Although we were quite encouraging at the beginning, we became a bit too one-dimensional. We ran out of ideas. The substitutes weren't very inspiring, whereas with Brentford, they bought on Emiliano and he got an assistance for to go and he changed the game. You know, He changed their shape. Whereas with us, all we did, we bought on Cavalero, Carano on the left-hand side, which it was just a straight swap, bringing, bringing on a right-footed winger who would just cut in and do that. And it's exactly what happened. And there was no clear tactical change and then when we did make changes we were already 1-0 down he didn't do much wrong but he didn't do much right either so 4 out of 10 uh, I think I'll go 1 up I'll say 5 out of 10 I think I think Matt Arthur you said this earlier on about how Cabano played the other Brentford game which we did lose and that was when people started to turn on Parker quite a lot so why has he played Cabano again because I imagine that Brentford. Uh, have probably been reviewing the game where they did beat us to see if they can repeat it. So why he why has he played Cabano again? I, I don't know. But And I think the only reason why I've gone one up from four is that he did play a bit more of an attacking philosophy, which was better to watch than the classic Parker ball that we saw before lockdown. Although we did lose, we did probably create quite a few good chances that we might not have got from passing around the back more because if you I think if you look at the stats we had a lot less possession than we would usually have so if he can just get a hang of this attacking philosophy that he's trying to implement or if he is trying to implement I might be reading it completely wrong but if if he is going to master that 
if he can get that done in the next couple of games and we keep creating good chances, I think we will get results. But unfortunately, not this game. So five out of ten. Yeah, I'm going to give him a five as well. I'm going to cut him some slack because you know, anytime you lose to Brentford, it should automatically be a zero. But I will cut him something. First game back, bit of rust. We've seen again. I've mentioned it before. We've seen some crazy results across football since football's come back because of you know teams not being hundred percent. He didn't have a full squad available. That's why we had Sylvester Jasper on the bench rather than Abubakar Kamara. For whatever reason, we don't know, but he wasn't there. Um, so we get some slack, um, but not a lot of it. So it's going to be a five from me. Right, so that wraps up uh, the Brentford game. Let's look forward to Leeds. Fulham. Right, guys, let's talk the Leeds United game. A game which has taken on a whole different meaning based on the league table as it was. Everyone, everyone was all doom and gloom after the Brentford result. But then as the results progressed over the weekend, West Brom only managed to draw with Birmingham and Leeds shuffling a shock defeat uh, away to Cardiff City means that the gap isn't really all that, it, all that it could have been. It's now only seven points to second place as opposed to six points. So very much still all to play for. You know, to quote Animal House, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No, it's, everyone knows the quote. Um, has the meaning of this game changed um, much in your eyes, given the results? I think, you know, technically it's as we were because Leeds lost and we lost. So there's no points difference there. Uh, West Brom got that point. But I think mentally there's a big difference now. Um, you know, we lost the first game back of the championship and Leeds and West Brom should have looked at that and thought, well, we can take advantage of this. We can start running away and get quite a big gap but they didn't and not to play mind games here, but you know, you need to question their mentality about, you know, can they, they, they dropped the ball a bit there. Let's be honest. They could have gone far and away. And it, I think when we lost after the full-time whistle, there was kind of the thought that, Oh, well, that's, that's the automatics over with. Then we'll just focus on the playoffs. But now there's that renewed sense of optimism and hope that that's there now. And obviously, you know, West Brom are playing Brentford next week as well. And all the top four are playing each other. And depending on what happens, it can either blow it all wide open or kind of solidify the top two. So, yeah, it's definitely all to play for now, more so than ever. You mentioning the West Brom playing Brentford just points out the fact that we're saying this all now. Yet, on the Friday night, West Brom play Brentford. So the game could take on another completely new meaning. Mr. Oakley, same question to you then. What are your thoughts on the game and the importance of it? Has it changed much to you? I think if we win, it definitely can. We The automatics are still alive. We've been given a lifeline. Like you say, after that game against Brentford, automatics are over. Let's focus on the playoffs. But if we beat Leeds, then we're not very many points behind at all. Um, only a few games. And... Still got to play West Brom, which, and obviously, you've probably got the hardest games, well, definitely got the hardest games at the top three. But Leeds and West Brom have already dropped points along with us. So if we can pick up and they don't pick up as well, then we've got every chance. It's just about the next few games, and especially this Leeds one. It's about how, if we can keep consistency and keep form, because then we will be able to get second. I just want to bring up this quote that I got from a um, a text I got from a uh, Leeds supporting fan of mine uh, earlier this afternoon. From all my time watching the championship, it's your opponents that win you the league by dropping points rather than your own ability. And I think this weekend pretty much sums up that point 
perfectly. And you mentioned Leeds and West Brom dropped the ball as it regards to us. And, you know, we could be very much in the same situation next week if West Brom and Brentford, for instance, play out a draw and, you know, keeps things wide open. Then the onus is on us and Leeds to sort of take advantage of that. And it's really going to be a case of who blinks first and who crumbles first. Just walk me through what do you th- what changes you see coming from Scott Parker in the game, if you see any at all. Uh, I think the lineup will stay relatively similar, apart from probably Cavalera for Cabano. To regard to the defence, I think keep the defence the same, although, although Joe Bryant did look shaky against Brentford. I think he's the best left-back option we have. And Harrison Reed, Kearney and Bobby Reed. Uh, Bobby Reed, you could say, could be changed for Onoma and Kearney goes more attacking. But although Bobby Reed did miss a few chances, he made chances as well. He he made good runs. So I think midfield stays the same, defence stays the same, and Cav just comes in for Cabano. I wouldn't be like you know not knocking Brian, and I don't want to say he'd get dropped, but I could see a tactical change of maybe bringing a Doyen at left back, um, and then bringing in Cyrus or um, Stephen Sess just to have a bit of a more uh, composed defence, one that doesn't bomb forward as much potentially. Midfield, I would expect to see more or less the same midfield. Um, I know Harrison Reed did hobble off, but hopefully. It didn't look serious, so he should be fine. But if it is Leeds, and you know, we know how attacking Leeds can be, you wonder whether he'll stick with Bobby Reed and Kearney in midfield. He could sacrifice one to bring in a Steph Joe or or an Arta, um, which would be fine, I think. And yeah, I would expect to see Cav uh, come in for Cabano. I would like to hope to see Kamara back. I don't know why he's away. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious, and hopefully, he can be he can make some appearance, be it on the bench or in the starting 11. And yeah, I think that would be the way forward. Just picking up on, you know, Brian's strengths and weaknesses as well. I think an option we could also consider is maybe going five at the back at some point and having a kind of Joe Bryant, Cyrus Christie as wing as wing backs with a, a Doi, Reem and Hector as three centre-backs. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, what your guys' thoughts are on this, but I think it could be, it, it could be something worth exploring because, you know, that could open up more crosses to Mitrovic, more kind of uh, play down the channels as well. Not saying we could do it against Leeds, but I think it could be something to consider. We don't really have the time to go into this because I'm, no. I'm getting pretty tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Another time, another, and further down the line. Um, let's have your score predictions for the game. Mr. Arto, you first. I We need to stay optimistic here and we, we need to really go for a win. There'd be nothing better, you know, after losing to Brentford like that, and Leeds are on the back of a loss as well. To put Leeds to two defend two defeats on the bounce, that would hurt them mentally. And for us to get a win, it could kickstart everything. So I really want us to see a win. And I'm going to say three one, three one for them. Three one. That's a that's a very very bold claim from Mister. It's very bold, but <laughs> it is. But 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 credit to you for going for going ambitious. You say we have to be we have to stay positive. I, I personally wouldn't go that positive, but I applaud you for doing so. Uh, Mr. Oakley, your prediction as well. Uh, I think I'm just going to go for a 1-0, get it done. Um, we don't score much. We don't score a lot of goals, but just a 1-0, even if it's a scrappy game, we've got to get the win. Yeah, see, a much more sensible option there for Mr. Oakley. Three goals against Leeds. Are you crazy, Mr. Arta? Um, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> Live life on the edge. Exactly, precisely. Very, very well said, sir. 
Um, so that's really it from this edition of the Full and Focus podcast. I want to thank Mr. Arta and Mr. Oakley for joining me. Uh, don't forget that you can keep up with everything that is Full and Focus. Twitter or on Instagram, we have the website where there's Q&As, interviews, past episodes of the podcast, many different articles. I believe Danny Boy, our uh, master-in-chief, has got an article coming out um, soon on the pros and cons of Bobby Reed. So by all means, uh, keep your ears and eyes open for that. Um, so all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening. Come on, you whites. And above all, in this current climate, please do stay safe. Thank you very much.